Welcome to this presentation of First Baptist Church Logue. We're glad to have you joining us today. Our mission at FBC Logue is to bring glory to God by being disciple makers. For that purpose, we present the following resource that it may be a blessing. All right, grab a Bible and turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, in case you use one of our pew Bibles, you'll find that on page 981. And while you're finding your place, you know, most people tend to have a particular learning style. Some people learn best by reading or by listening to somebody explain a concept. And then other people learn better by watching somebody actually perform the task. Personally, I find myself somewhere in the middle depending on what it is. And so on, on the one hand, I, I love books. I love to learn by reading. But there are some things that I find I pick up on more quickly if I'm able to watch somebody do it and then attempt to do it myself. Uh, but it's interesting that Paul provides both kinds of learning for the Philippians. Now, obviously, he's been in the process of writing out his instructions in this letter for them to read and learn from. But this morning, we're also going to see him commending two different individuals who he will put forward as examples for them to watch and learn from. So we're in Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to pick up beginning in verse 19. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. And so as we pick up in this section, Paul changes gears uh, from explaining what it looks like for the Philippians to conduct themselves as citizens of heaven by, by living lives that are worthy of the gospel. And he, he, he moves now to sharing about his future plans. And while at first glance, uh, this information, this passage may seem to be unrelated to everything that he's been talking about up to this point, I think we're going to find that that's not true. So the first thing Paul says here is that he is planning to send Timothy to Philippi in the near future. Now his actual phrasing is, I hope in the Lord Jesus to do this. And of course, we've seen in our studies through the book of Acts and also in 1 Thessalonians that Paul's plans didn't always work out the way that he wanted them to. So he's, he's come to recognize that what he intends to do is always subject to the providential direction of the Lord. And so he hopes in the Lord to be able to do this. Now, there are a couple of reasons why Paul wants to send Timothy to Philippi. First, we see in the second half of verse 19 that, that he expects to be cheered by news of them. In other words, Paul wants Timothy to go to Philippi and check in with the Philippians to see how they're doing. How are they responding to this letter? And then to bring a report back to him 
And based on previous experience, Paul would expect this report to be good, which would be a source of encouragement to him as he continues to wait to stand trial. Now, we know that Timothy was Paul's right-hand man, and so we may wonder why he would send Timothy to do this instead of someone else. But we see in the rest of the paragraph that the second reason Paul is sending him is that he also wants someone to continue working with the church in Philippi, continuing to provide leadership and discipleship for them, and there's nobody else available at this time who he trusts to do that. He says, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Now, it may seem kind of odd. Uh, we, we know that, that there were a variety of people who worked with Paul as teammates in his ministry. Uh, we know that from Acts and other places of the New Testament when he mentions them. Uh, but we also know that not all of those people were always reliable. And so we remember from our study through Acts how John Mark left Paul and Barnabas hanging during their, their second missionary journey. And, and in his later letters, Paul uh, describes other people who have abandoned him. And so, assuming that the other co-workers Paul could count on, like Luke or Silas perhaps, were out ministering in other areas, at this particular point, the only one he believed he could trust with this job was Timothy. And what sets Timothy apart is that he will be genuinely concerned for the spiritual well-being of the Philippians. Paul could trust him to do whatever was necessary for the Philippians to continue growing in their faith. And so while someone else might be tempted to sugarcoat things or, or to be around the bush, Paul knows that Timothy will speak the truth. Right? Where others might be tempted to compromise in order to avoid suffering, Paul knows that Timothy will lead the church to continue standing firm in their faith. Where others might abuse their position of leadership for their own advantage, Paul knows that Timothy will give himself to serve the church and put their needs before his own. In other words, Timothy will be an example of everything that Paul has been calling the Philippians to throughout this letter. Moving into in verse 22, we also see that Timothy is a good choice for this job because the Philippians already know and trust him. He says, but you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. And so we remember from Acts 16 that Timothy was with Paul when the church at Philippi was established. But we also know that Paul has sent Timothy into the region of Macedonia, which is where Philippi was, at least two other times in, in uh, Acts chapters 18 and 19. And so at this point, Timothy may have worked with the Philippians for three separate occasions. And through that time, they have come to know that Timothy is faithful and trustworthy. And the Philippians know Timothy. So Paul describes him serving in the gospel like a son with his father. And as you probably know, in the ancient world, fathers generally pass their trades down to their sons. And so if your father was a farmer, you grew up to be a farmer. If your father was a metal worker, you grew up to be a metal worker. Right? Fathers pass down their trades to their sons. And Paul and Timothy have that kind of relationship when it comes to ministry. Right, by, by working together, Timothy has learned the ins and outs of ministry and spiritual leadership from Paul. And now he is well positioned to provide those things for the church at Philippi. And so we see in verse, verse 23 that, that while Paul needs Timothy to stay with him 
uh, at least for now, in the short term, as soon as he knows how things are going to play out in Rome, he intends to send him on to Philippi. And then, as he's already indicated before, he hopes to make his own way to Philippi as well. But in the meantime, until Timothy, and then ultimately Paul himself, can get to Philippi, the Philippians will be served well by the example of another man named Epaphroditus. And Paul turns his attention to him, beginning in verse 25. Picking up in verse 25, Paul writes, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker, fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all, and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not on him, not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. And so to fully understand what's, what's going on here, a little backstory based on what we know uh, here and then later on in the, the letter might be helpful. So I mentioned back in week one that the occasion for this letter, the reason that Paul is writing this, is because the Philippians have sent him a financial gift to support him and his needs while he is in prison. And he'll refer specifically to that later in chapter 4. And so you'll remember that at the end of Acts, Paul was put essentially on house arrest in Rome. He was not in prison proper. He was allowed to live on his own, but he was responsible for paying all of his own expenses. And so he had to buy food and pay rent, probably, along with anything else he needed. And he had no way of working for a living. And so at this point, Paul was completely dependent on the generosity of the churches. And the man who brought a gift from Philippi and who has given Paul a report about the church there is a man named Epaphroditus. And so with that in mind, at this point, Paul is sending Epaphroditus back to Philippi. And we understand that he is probably one who delivered this letter to the church. And in this section, Paul explains why he's doing that. But first, we see that Paul affirms Epaphroditus as a brother as a fellow worker and a fellow soldier, which all speak to his faithfulness and his usefulness in ministry as a teammate of Paul. Right? This is someone that Paul respects, someone who has proven himself to be committed to the gospel. In fact, it's his commitment to the gospel, no matter what, that compels Paul to send him home at this point. Right? He says that Epaphroditus has been longing to get back home, and he's also been distressed. Because he knows that at some point, the Philippians became aware of the fact that he was sick. Epaphroditus became ill, so much so that Paul says that he came close to dying because of it. And now Paul explains in verse 27 that the Lord was merciful to Epaphroditus and healed him. Which is certainly good for him, but we also see that it saved Paul from having overwhelming sorrow. And you can imagine with all the, the stress of his imprisonment, waiting to stand trial before the emperor, and with the conflict that we saw Paul was having with some of the Christians in Rome back in chapter 1, right, the last thing that he needed was to lose one of his true friends who was seeking to meet his needs, someone who was seeking to minister to him on behalf of his friends in Philippi. 
And so God's grace to Epaphroditus was also God's grace to Paul. But the Philippians don't know this. The last thing they heard, Epaphroditus was sick. And they haven't heard anything since then. And so for all they know, he could be stranded somewhere in need of help. Or he might even be dead at this particular point in time. They didn't have text messaging or emails or phone calls to get in touch quickly. They just know that he's out there somewhere and that he's ill. And Epaphroditus knows that they're worried about him, and this is causing him distress, which is a word that that conveys a a preoccupation with something that prevents you from being able to focus on anything else. In other words, Epaphroditus is worried about the Philippians being worried about him. And so Paul is sending him back home in part to be reunited with them. But this isn't the only reason that Paul is sending him back. Paul also intends for the Philippians to follow his example as well. So thinking again about how Paul describes him in verse 25, a brother, a fellow worker, a fellow soldier. Each of these titles serves to identify Epaphroditus as someone who has worked with Paul and proven himself in ministry. But the idea of him being a fellow soldier in particular makes it clear that his loyalty and his ability in ministry have been tested under pressure. And specifically in verse 30, Paul says that he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life in order to minister to him on behalf of the whole Philippian church. And so this indicates that Epaphroditus actually got sick on his way to Rome, but he pushed through it in order to get to Paul and deliver the support that he needed. And so just like a soldier, a good soldier, is willing to sacrifice himself for the good of the mission, in the same way, Epaphroditus was prepared to get to Paul or die trying. Despite his severe sickness, he pressed on out of love and a commitment to the kingdom. He knew that supporting Paul would mean that more people came to faith in Jesus through his ministry. And in his eyes, that was worth suffering for. So altogether, Epaphroditus is portrayed here as someone who is spiritually mature, someone who is fully committed to the gospel. And because of that, and the only command in this entire passage, Paul tells the Philippians in verse 29 to embrace Epaphroditus with joy and to honor him and other believers who are like him. In other words, they should respect people who prioritize the kingdom in their lives. They should look to these people for leadership and discipleship. So our our passage this morning, Paul is giving the Philippians a heads up on on his future plans, his immediate near future plans. And as he does so, he puts Timothy and Epaphroditus forward as examples for them to follow as they seek to follow Christ. Now, it won't be until later in chapter 3 that Paul actually comes out and says, follow people like this. But already we can see that that's what he's getting out here. As he sends Timothy and Epaphroditus to Philippi, he's putting them forward as examples of what spiritual maturity look like. Examples for the people to follow. These are two people who are already doing the things that Paul is calling the Philippians to do in this letter. And so while they're among the church, they're going to demonstrate what it looks like to stand firm in the midst of opposition. 
They're going to make unity in the church a priority by modeling what it looks like to consider other members of the church more important than themselves. They're going to show what it looks like to work out their salvation by pursuing a lifestyle of obedience to Jesus. And by watching them and doing what they do, the rest of the Philippians will grow into maturity as well. So Paul wants to teach the Philippians not only by words, but by example. So when I think about this concept, I think about uh, playing baseball as, as a kid. And so if, if you want to get better at baseball, or, or any sport for that matter, one of the best things that you can do is watch professionals and do what they do. Right? They, these are the people who play the game at the very highest level. They know what they're doing, and so you can learn a lot simply by watching what they do and how they do it. And, and even today, as, as we watch games uh, with my boys, I'm constantly pointing things out. You know, did you see what he did just there? Like, did you see the way that he approached that? I'm trying to get them to see, by example, the right way to play the game. Right, we can learn a lot by watching and following a good example. This is one of the things that makes Food Network so good, right? right and you, you can, on the one hand, read a recipe, but it's, it's very different to watch a professional go through the process of preparing a recipe on TV, seeing how they do it and learning from them. And the same thing is true here. Right, God has given us his word, and it is vitally important that we read and study it in our lives. But God also uses mature men and women in the church who serve as examples of what it looks like to follow what the Bible says to do as we watch and learn from them. You'll remember in our study through Titus last year that the Lord calls older, more mature believers to disciple younger, less mature believers. He called the older men to teach the younger men and for the older women to train the younger women. And we see the same thing at work here. Paul is telling the Philippians, I'm sending Timothy and Epaphroditus to you. I want you to watch how they live and do what they do. And no doubt he reminded Timothy and Epaphroditus as they left, be sure you lead by example and show the Philippians what it looks like to follow Jesus better. And so the essence of what I think Paul is getting at this morning is that all of us should aspire to grow into spiritual maturity, and all of us should also seek to be an example that other people can follow as they seek to grow into spiritual maturity. In other words, everyone needs someone who is further down the line in following Jesus than they are, and everyone needs to be somebody who is further down the line in following Jesus than someone else. So we need examples, and we need to be examples for other people. And this is what the Great Commission is all about, making disciples of all nations, not just converts, but mature followers of Jesus. I know how much that this kind of discipleship has been critical to my own spiritual growth. I've had a number of men in my life who have mentored me and and, and helped me follow Jesus better. From time to time, they would just call and they'd say, hey, let's go get lunch or let's go hang out for a while. We'd get together, and then we would talk. How are things going? What's going well in life? What's not going so well in life? How are you thinking through and processing that, that issue? How can I be praying for you? All right? And as I, I watched them, as they lived their lives and carried out their ministries, I just took mental notes the whole time. 
I watched how they navigated the difficult seasons of life. I listened to how they interacted with other people. I, I watched the way that they treated their families. And if you knew them, you would probably see and hear a lot of them in me. Not because I'm a carbon copy of them, but because they've influenced me in significant ways. Right? They poured themselves into my life. Now one of my main goals as a pastor is to turn around and to pour into other men's lives. Men who will then turn around and pour into other lives. And this is the, the cycle of discipleship. And so if you are a Christian, you need somebody you can follow. And you need to be somebody that someone else can follow. And so we need to understand that discipleship doesn't just happen in the context of a worship service. This is essential to our, our lives as believers, but discipleship happens out there in real life as we go through the nitty-gritty details of everyday life. And so we need to build discipling relationships outside of church time, outside of, of church time. And so I want to encourage you this morning to find someone who is farther down the line in following Jesus than you are. I want to encourage you to start learning from them. Spend time together. Watch how they live their lives and do what they do. And I want you to find someone who's not as far along the path as you are, and I want you to invest in them. I want you to, to be an example of what it looks like to follow Jesus. And the easiest way to do this, at least in my experience, is to simply find something that you already have to do and do it together. So, so go out to lunch together, right? Everybody's going to eat lunch, so you might as well do it together. Or, or go grocery shopping together. Go work out at the gym together. Have a play date with your kids. Find something that you're already going to be doing and do it together. And while you're together, invest in one another spiritually. You can read the Bible together or, or another Christian book and talk about what you're learning. Uh, you can pray together. It doesn't have to be complicated. Uh, but this is something that is essential to what discipleship looks like. In many ways, in, in different places, the Bible teaches that we become like the people we spend time around. And so it's important that we are intentional about spending time with people who will help us follow Jesus better and who we can help follow Jesus better. And so again, I want to challenge you this morning to think about how you can be more intentional about this. Who might be someone that the Lord has put in your path in this way? And how can you go about initiating a more intentional and purposeful discipling relationship with them? Consider that. Pray about that. This is why we are here. We are here to help one another follow Jesus. This is why the church exists, to make disciples. So I pray that we will be faithful to do that. Let's pray together.